Good Sunday morning, Northgate and friends. Here we are. The sun is streaming in my window. What a beautiful day it is. I'm wearing a hat, but just for a second, the Northgate hat. I was just trying to show everyone uh, Northgate. We got some hats. If you're interested in uh, seeing these, just give me a shout. Maybe one would look good on your head. But anyways, we're not here for that. We're here for God's word this morning in Joshua chapter 7. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you will bless your word today. Lord, we all need to hear this message this morning. I know I need to hear it. So Holy Spirit, just speak to our hearts. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. So here we are in Joshua chapter 7. Last week, the destruction of Jericho, blowing the trumpets, declaring God's word. But this week, we're going to talk about AI and one person in particular, his name, Akin. It seems after the Israelites had conquered Jericho, they moved on to a smaller city in the land of Canaan to destroy that city. So Joshua, in chapter 7, verse 2, he sent some men to Ai to scout it out and how big a battle this would be. And as they went and moved forward, they thought it wouldn't be a difficult battle. They said, do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. They sent 3,000, it says in verse 4. And as they went to attack that city, the people of Ai struck down the men of Israel, about 36 men, and chased them before the gate. So, in the news of this, in verse 6, Joshua tears his clothes, falls on the earth before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders put dust on their head. Joshua then asked the Lord in verse 7 what happened. What was the problem? Asking God why he brought them there, if he was going to destroy them. And we see in verse 10 onward that there was sin in the camp. God in chapter 6 verse 18, the chapter before, had instructed when they moved on uh, and as they defeated Jericho that they were to take none of the things of those from Jericho. Uh, the exact wording is this in verse 18, by all means abstain from the accursed things lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. So when they were battling Jericho and they went into that, that city as God took down the walls, there was strict instructions. They were to take nothing, no money, no clothing, uh, nothing from that city. And here in chapter 7, it seems there was sin in the camp and because of that sin, that God was preventing a victory, and it seems that somebody had taken from that city of Jericho. So what happens there then is God instructs Joshua to sanctify the people, to figure out who this was who sinned. So Joshua brings all the people together in chapter 7 by tribe, uh, by family, by household, and they went man from man, and the Holy Spirit then uh, showed who it was who had taken the things. And that was a man called Achan from the tribe of Judah. 
it seems very clear then in scripture that they deal with this sin with Achan and he is punished and death is the result. And that seems maybe a little excessive maybe to you, but we'll try to explain that in a, in a minute. But the reality is there's been sin, there's been deception, and God is angry about it. And then Joshua hears and deals with the sin, and then they move on in the next chapter, chapter 8, and defeat that little city of Ai. It was interesting this week as we think of this story, and why would God actually kill that man Achan and those around him for the sin he had committed? Don't we say that God is love and forgiving? And certainly we do say that, and certainly we do believe that. Remember, we are reading an Old Testament story, but in one of my small groups this week, someone asked, how can God be love when he seems so angry, even in stories like this, that there was sin and he got so angry and God was seemed so angry and destroyed that sin. Why does he appear at times, especially in the Old Testament, so wrathful, so angry? And I think a lot of people ask that question uh, who aren't believers and even some of us who are believers. Why would God allow them to lose. Why didn't he deal with that sin before? And then those men wouldn't have to die in battle. Why didn't he just excuse Achan for his sin if he had confessed? I want to let you know that God is good. God is good. Even when you read these stories, God is good. And just going to point out a few things. Well, why is God good in a story like this? Because as we know that, it's so important then to live that. But first and foremost, this is Old Testament, and moving into the New Testament, we know that sin requires some sort of a penalty. And the wages of sin is death, it says in the book of Romans. And we know that Jesus Christ came and he provided that penalty or provided the cost of sin that he took our place, that he died. So in this story, if we see it, we are Achan. We are the ones who have stolen the accursed things, doing what we shouldn't have done. And there is a penalty, and that penalty was death. But we know in the New Testament, and if you track with me and you all know this, and this just demonstrates the goodness of God, that God's wrath, God's anger with sin was met on our behalf by Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that, you need to know that because it just screams of the goodness and the love of God, that Jesus dealt with the wrath of God, that he paid the price that when Achan was stoned and stoned and, and fire came to his home to destroy those things that he had stolen, but his life was taken for his sin. But for us, Jesus was the one who took the penalty. And in that, we see the amazing goodness of God. But you might ask, well, why does God hate sin so much? You know, why, you know, we do slip up, we do fail. 
Why in the Bible is God presented as someone who just hates sin? And, you know, when I understood this in my life, it made a huge difference. God certainly hates sin. He hates evil. And why does he hate sin? Not because he just wants all the attention in, in essence, but God hates sin because sin causes pain and destruction to his children. Just simply put, and if you look in our story, why was God so upset about this sin? And we look back to, to verse 18 of chapter 6, it was the accursed things. It was things connected with the culture of Jericho. And, and we, we read it's, it's money and clothing. And, but there was a deeper situation, these accursed things. And God was judging the people of Jericho because of their sins. So for Israel to take something that was a part of that community of sin, it could easily become a part of their lives and cause them to sin. So God would say, don't be a part of that. Don't take things from that. Don't hold on to these things of the world that we are supposed to run from because they're not going to help us. They're going to hurt us. And as a father wouldn't let his child uh, touch a stove, for instance, say, don't do that. That's going to hurt you. It is the same thing God for us. He hates sin because sin hurts his children. And there's nothing positive about sin. It might tease us and become somewhat pleasurable in the season, but we know it brings forth great pain. And so in the, in the goodness of God, he just says, don't do that. And he hates the things that hate us who love him. God is so good. He's saying to us, I am holy. Be holy like me because in that you will be protected from misery and suffering and pain. Even if you would think, okay, he took some money, it says he took some money and uh, no money in itself isn't bad, but if we in ourselves are looking to, to gain or to have more of, we know that money in, um, it says in the scriptures, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is a root of all kinds of evil. Money itself is not evil, but when we covet things and desire things more than God, they can certainly come back and hurt us. The reality is any sin blocks the work of God, blocks the work of the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to have victory. And God wants us to walk fruitful lives. And one of the things that stops that is our sinning. Sin blocks the work of the Holy Spirit. And the New Testament is very clear about that because it says that we can quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit. It says that in the book of Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians, this idea, just think of it, quench, that you, you have this bright flame for God, but then as you sin and you choose that path, you are not allowing that flame to go brightly. Years ago, I did a sermon, and some of you might remember it. We brought a garden hose out, a long hose, and 
the idea is God always has that turned on and there's always that flow and that's water in a hose, but it's the Holy Spirit in our life. But sometimes we go to the end of the hose and there's no water because there's a kink or it's um, tied up or there's blockage. And that's what sin does in our life. So God is on. He loves us. We're saved. This Holy Spirit's in us and God wants to flow through us. But when we choose to sin, we're blocking that flow of the Holy Spirit. We are grieving. We are quenching. And God wants us to walk in that freedom and that flow. And sin in our lives is a huge obstacle to that. So God hates sin because sin hurts us. But also sin doesn't allow us to be who he has called us to be. And that's why there's so many instructions in the New Testament to flee from sin, to, as I mentioned, be holy because I am holy, to don't um, play with sin, be a part of sin, but we are to separate, to purify, to walk towards sanctification with the power of the Holy Spirit. So those thi- that, that sin doesn't take a hold of our lives. You know, there is a thought out there, and not one that we teach, but one that we have to be careful with, knowing that we're forgiven in the goodness of God, knowing that our sin is forgiven past, present, and future, somehow to take advantage of that grace, and thus then to think, I can walk and do things that are not right. Yeah, you are forgiven. God is good. Yeah, he loves you. He's paid the price. But in his goodness as well, he knows how much sin will hurt you. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't go that way. And I think this is a message that we need to be reminded of. I do. You do. But here they had sure victory, but yet someone in the camp chose to sin, affecting other people. And another note, it's a sidebar. It's another sermon. But your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin can affect so many people. And God's another reason he's good in saying don't do that. Sin is deceptive. It will harden your heart. It will affect other people. It will take us away from the victory that God wants us to have. And there's no way that we can say at all ever because of God's amazing grace that we are to be comfortable or to allow ourselves, or make sin acceptable in any way. We have to run away. We want victory. And I want to challenge you today, as in our story, is there sin in the camp? Is there sin in my life, in your life, in the camp of our life, in the camp of our families? We need to repent and confess. We need to trust Jesus who's forgiven us. And we need to walk away. That great forgiveness of the woman caught in adultery. There's no condemnation. But let's not forget the second half. Which I think Jesus was just as passionate about. Go and sin no more. Because I am good and I love you. And I don't want that disgusting sin to affect you. And so we need to be open to that. Obedience is hugely important. To close, I guess maybe I'll put it this way. It is the Christmas season. And oftentimes 
Has there been someone in your life where you think maybe it's a dad or a mom or someone you're like, what do I get them? What do I get them for Christmas? What do I get the person maybe who has everything? And we rack our heads and I'll just write them a note. I can't get them any material thing or I don't know what to get them. Have you ever thought? Yeah, have you ever thought of that in regards to God? If you were going to give him a gift that he would truly love, what would it be? Would you give him silver and gold? And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. Or what would you what would you give God if you could give him anything? What would you give our great God who actually has all things? Well, I thought of that. And I thought I've got a little present here. This is my, my present for God. And I thought, well, what am I going to give God? Am I going to give him money? Well, well that will God... No, I don't think God wants my money. I think he's got enough money. What else could I give God? Well, maybe I could give God, um, ah, yes, a nice piece of jewelry when God loved that jewelry. Ah, yeah, a nice ring. No, I don't think God wears rings nor desires rings. What, What could I give God? Well, let's see in the bag. What is the greatest gift I could give God today? Ah. Why don't we maybe try this? What could I give God? Obedience. Your obedience is the greatest gift you can give God today. You know, the word of God is clear in regards to this, and it's fascinating. But the way we show our love to God is simply by obeying his commands. Today, that's the greatest gift you can give God. We know in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. First John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commands. You want to know how to abide? We use that word a lot. It is to keep his commands and to simply in that abide in him. Today, looking at this story, sin in the camp, and God is good. God has provided a way of forgiveness, and God is good. God is good. He's telling us not to sin because it's only going to hurt us. And in his goodness, he's calling us out and saying, don't do that. He wants us to live victorious lives for our benefit. But our response is simply to obey Today, if there's any sin, can I urge you to examine your heart, your life? And if you know God is asking you to do something, if you know there's sin, would you repent? Would you confess? And would you turn away? Would you go and sin no more? Would you show God that you love him because you know that he loves you? And walk in his holiness. And in that you will have joy and you will have peace because of what he's done and what he's doing in you. You know, salvation has appeared to all men, it says in the book of Titus, bringing them salvation. But this amazing grace, this amazing goodness, this amazing favor of God teaches us to deny ungodliness in this present evil age. May we run from sin. Let's get it out of the camp. Let's get it out of the camp that we may 
sense and know the victory that God has for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, if there's any sin in our lives, Lord, just convict us now. May we turn. Just confess that and know that in God's goodness, Jesus is there and we are forgiven. And may we walk and actually run, flee from that sin. We don't want to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. You have a blessed day. We'll see you next time, which will be after Christmas. So have a wonderful Christmas. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.